There's one trophy that sets Toronto FC apart from all other teams in MLS. Teams have done the double, winning the Supporters' Shield and the MLS Cup, but no other team has ever won the treble like Toronto FC did in 2017. Today on the Northern Pitch Podcast, we'll tell the story of Toronto FC's 2017 Voyagers' Cup victory. James Grassi of MLSsoccer.com will join the show in just a moment, but first, as always, Tego Moyo, what's up, man? Hey, man, I'm just chilling. Just finished eating a sandwich. Um, spent all morning reliving and rewatching. I say reliving a lot, but I guess that's what we're doing. But rewatching it, um, especially the Voyagers Cup uh, last two legs. Yeah, I, th- I think when we started this podcast, the 2016 MLS Cup, uh, that was my story time. I told uh, you know, you know, my experience of of covering that game. But uh, the Voyagers Cup final for you in 2017 is is kind of your highlight of of the 2017 season. Um, why is that, Tagle? That honestly might be one of my the highlights of shooting, really, um, just because um, that moment that Seba scored the goal um, to seal the win for us, um, I kind of risked my life to get that shot because um, as Seba scored, he usually runs towards um, the fans, but he stops um, right at the ad board, um, and usually everyone just snaps pictures and runs right in front of him. Um, but what was different about this time was um, – he jumped over the um, the advertisement board, and so did the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like a split second to like stand back, which um, if you watch the highlight, you'll see a lot of the other photographers, and they may not like me for that, but everyone else kind of stepped back and let him have that moment. But um, I kind of hugged the wall in between what was um, where the fans were and where Seba ran to, and I just got down and was just snapping, snapping, snapping away. Um, and that was probably like, I look back at it now and like a lot of times people have asked me like, what's your favorite photo? Like after like rewatching that and actually seeing myself in that moment, um, where like my, I wasn't thinking like now how I was being able to retrace it. I just kind of mm-hmm. did it. Um, and, and then the photos that came out of it were some of my favorite photos ever. Um, just Josie, Seba, and Bradley just like linking arms, just yelling, and then you can like see the spit from them like being so happy in the air. You can <laughs> see like the hands of the fans, and it's just like I, I think that might be my like favorite photo and favorite moment. Um, and I got to shoot the 2017 um, MLS Cup, but that moment was kind of a little bit more special because it it, it meant so much at the time. Um, you could see. Uh, for everyone. Yeah, what I remember about that moment watching it from the press box was Raheem Edwards, who uh, set up the goal for Sebastian Javinko. He uh, he tried to hop the boards with the rest of the boys as well and just ate it. Like you, you see everyone <laughs> else, the entire team go over the boards like celebrating, but Raheem just hits the boards and falls down. He pops up a couple seconds later, obviously. And, you know, at, at that point, you have too much adrenaline running through your body to feel any sort of pain. But uh, as we'll find out with Josie Alcador a little bit later on in in this show. Um, but yeah, certainly that, that's what I remember most about that moment was just Raheem in, in pure celebration falling over the, uh, the advertisement boards at BMO field. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, there's been lots of times where, um, the TFC scored and, and they've ran close to the fans, but they always, mm-hmm. always, always, I'm not sure if they're, they're probably told not to jump it. Um, but like they always just stop right at it or like they'll run on the opposite side where, um, the the subs are training um and fans can almost get a little bit closer but they never actually like or hardly ever actually jump over that stanchion 
Um, so it was it was just really cool. You could see how how buzzing it was because it was it was it was late in the game. Like yeah. it was a, a big goal. Yeah, ninety fourth minute, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always thought it was a yellow card if you went to the stands, but I guess you can't yellow card the entire. You can't. Team. Yeah, <laughs> the entire team does it yeah, at that point of the game. The so that would have been hilarious if if you like look at the match report and just see eleven yellow cards next to everybody. <laughs> but yeah, at, at any rate, um, let's let's get one of my favorite people to talk all things Toronto FC with on one of the line our here. favorite people. One of our favorite people. Not sorry, not including you in that, but James Grassi will be back to talk the twenty seventeen Voyagers Cup final. Hello, this is Stephen Caldwell and I'd like to tell you about my new podcast Footy Talks with Stephen Caldwell which launches Monday with my player-to-player interview with Josie Altador. Subscribe now by searching Footy Talks with Stephen Caldwell wherever you get your podcasts. It's been far too long since I've talked soccer with this week's guest, James Grassi of MLSsoccer.com. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for thinking of me and reaching out for uh, for this momentous look back at uh, at the 2017 Canadian Championship, one of my favorite competitions of uh, the calendar year, every single year. Yeah, it's certainly come a long way, hasn't it? I was, uh, you know, in in part of my preparation for this, I was looking back at all the past Canadian championships as well, and uh, there's been some incredible moments. But uh, you know, it's it's certainly a tournament that's evolved and, and gotten better every year. I think uh, from that round robin format, it started out with all the USL teams and in Toronto FC, and then um, to where it is now. But 2017 certainly um one of the one of the better tournaments i think it's fair to say considering the late drama and everything we're about to break down on the show uh but some odd circumstances to start the tournament and i remember greg vanny being pretty frustrated about this uh james you want to fill us in with why greg vanny wasn't too happy with the way uh the the 2017 tournament was formatted yeah one of the one of the funny things with with the canadian championship over the years has always been uh the headbutting that goes on between the clubs and the the association in terms of sort of when the matches are going to be played and and how the schedule is going to work out and and with CONCACAF changing their format you know back in the day it used to be that you would qualify for you would qualify in a year and you would enter the competition later that fall and it would carry over into the spring and CONCACAF decided that and and with with they had a fair point in that it was always a little bit strange that the team that qualified wouldn't be the team that actually played in the competition the mm-hmm. following year. Their, their turnover was just such that you would get teams that, that were shadows of their former selves by the time they made it. So they decided to, to fit it all into one calendar year and do away with, uh, with the group stage for, for teams of, of uh, the Canadian champions caliber. And so the Canadian Soccer Association was faced with a choice of how do we how do we want to award the spot for the upcoming competition? And, and by dint of winning winning the Voyagers Cup in 2016, TFC should have been the team to represent Canada in the upcoming competition. But Canada Soccer decided that instead of honoring that sort of ex- expectation, they would have uh, whoever won the 2017 edition play off against the team that won 2016 TFC in order to uh, to determine a, a fair which I'm putting in quotation marks, uh, representation for, for Canada that year. And, and as you said, Greg Vanny was, uh, was not very happy about that. He's a, he's a pretty jovial guy. He sort of goes along to get along for the most part, but he definitely voiced his displeasure with that. Personally, I was sort of looking forward to a TFC playing themselves if we could somehow yeah. figure out a way to that, for that <laughs> to happen. Maybe TFC, TFC 2 if, uh, if it was possible. But yeah, that was just one of the, 
one of the little sort of curveballs that this competition can throw a, a side's way. Yeah, and and moving on to um, the first leg, kind of against Ottawa, um, it didn't kind of go as uh, as as planned or as hoped. Um, the first goal was absolutely crazy that that TFC scored, but then to end up losing um, that first leg um, was kind of not not ideal. Yeah, you know it's it's funny. Um, we we've always tried to. You know the TFC Ottawa Fury thing is uh, is something that now that the Fury no longer exists will will definitely sort of be missed and and Atletico. The, <laughs> Atletico it'll it'll come it might even happen this year if they can figure out uh, whether Ottawa is going to be in it and when we're going to play it and what the format will be but that's a that's a story for another day. Um, it was um it was always kind of fun seeing TFC go up against Ottawa and, and Ottawa definitely had that, that chip on their shoulder when it came to those games, they would, they would put the sword to TFC too when they had the chance when the two of them were in USL and, and playing against the first team was a chance to be on the big stage for some of those guys. And, you know, as you said, that Sheru goal uh, to open the scoring pretty early made it look like despite, you know, playing a pretty, a pretty second choice lineup in terms of, uh, you know, there was no Michael Bradley, there was no Josie Altavera, there was no Sebastian Jovinko, there was no Victor Vasquez. It was very much uh, a team of, uh, of young Canadian guys going out there sprinkled with a couple of veterans. Uh, when TFC scored that first goal as easily as they did, you sort of thought that they were in for, uh, for a pretty simple night of it, but, but pretty quickly, you know, Ottawa showed some grit and they, they took advantage of a, of a handball from a TFC two uh, draftee Mitch Tainer, who was who was brought into the first team for that uh, to score their their equalizing goal, and then some some really sloppy defending from TFC uh, led to a chance late for for a second Ottawa goal. I think it was uh, Cito Cianone, or however you pronounce his name. I've always struggled with uh, that many vowels being in one name um, to give Ottawa a pretty memorable night, and, and you know. Um, when it comes to these competitions, you know, you always sort of had to feel for for the Edmontons and the Ottawas and, and the lower division teams that are sort of on a hiding to nothing in these games. And for them to celebrate a night like that was was pretty epic for their fans. And, you know, whatever the future holds in terms of Athleti and, and where the game goes in Ottawa, I'm sure this will be a pretty famous night when they look back on uh, on uh, their soccer history and in particular against TFC. And of course, who can forget some of the shenanigans that went on in the stands that night. I was actually in Ottawa that day to, to take it all in. And it was uh, it was a pretty wild game all around with uh, the pitch nearly catching fire, at least being burnt pretty severely and fire trucks called to the scene. And just, it's a Canadian championship, man. Crazy things happen. Football's nothing without ultras. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that is all I'm going to say. Um, but like, like you said, the, the starting lineup for that game um, was not uh, as competitive, I guess, as, as, as it needed to be. But coming into that second leg, um, a more dominant victory. Uh, TFC had a way stronger starting 11. Victor Vasquez was in it. Um, and, and just – you kind of could tell that um, they they wanted it um, and they wanted to kind of make up for what happened last game. Uh, the Fury did have like some early chances, but near the end, TFC just blew them away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, that's that's very much the way Vanny approaches these these two legged competitions, and especially it's something that we saw in the playoffs this this twenty seventeen year and in the the Concacaf Champions League come twenty eighteen was that. 
you know, you don't win, you don't win a series in the first leg. You're sort of setting yourself up to finish the job in the second leg. And that was, that was very much the pattern that they followed going into Ottawa and playing a week inside and then taking advantage of being at home. And as you said, you know, Ottawa had a couple of chances in, in the early going there. I, I was just watching the highlights this morning and, you know, there was a, a tight angle shot that went into the side netting and, and Justin Morrow had to come up with a pretty big block to, to keep the fury at bay. But once that first one went in, and, and you know, an own goal is always a very cruel way to to give up your, your lead in a two-legged series, especially when you're the underdog. You sort of knew that that Ottawa were up against it. And then, you know, Subasa Endo made it a quick second uh, before halftime and, and it was pretty much over at that point when uh, – when you get Marky Delgado scoring on you from close range and then Sebastian Jovinko coming off the bench to do a little bit of damage, you know, it's not going to be a, a pleasant night if you're out all. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Sebastian Ando because I think that that pretty dominant performance from him, honestly, was was kind of emblematic of that season for Toronto FC in the sense that, you know, Subasa was a player that the year before as a rookie had been you know, a pretty constant player in Toronto FC's 18, even the 11. Sometimes he played in 21 matches that year. He only played four in the end, but you know, when he got his chance and when they kind of needed him there against Ottawa, he stepped up in in a big way. And, you know, we saw that time and time again from, um, you know, guys maybe 20 to 23 on the Toronto FC roster. Yeah. I mean, anytime, you know, the Canadian championship, one of the reasons it, it's difficult for teams to navigate is because it is, it is four extra fixtures smacked out in the middle of your summer, which is always the, the really busy period for MLS sides. And so you're always going to see a little bit of rotation. There's the, there's the Canadian requirements as well, which means that you're not necessarily going to trot out your first choice 11 all the time. And, and uh, Endo is one of those guys who, when he's on, he's spectacular. And, and too often, I think what Greg Vanny would say would be too often you're not sure which Subasa you're going to get on the day. But I think one of the defining factors for that 2017 team was that, you know, they could look at roster spots 15 to 20 up to up to the mid-20s in terms of guys who could go out there and do a job for you on the day. You know, Jordan Hamilton was uh, – is Jordan Hamilton. He's he's unpredictable, and but he will he will give you some good minutes. Raheem Edwards was was lively in those in those matches. You know, Eric Zabaleta stepped in and did a job on the back line when he needed to. Jason Hernandez was another guy they went to a, a fair bit throughout this competition. And you know, to Saint Ricketts, who uh, who does a lot usually off the bench, but uh, he played a he played a big factor in a lot of these matches too. And that's uh, I think that's one of the things that that really allows you success in, in North American soccer is having that depth. You know, we, when we talk about schedule congestion, it's, it's pretty common in the world over to have matches every couple of days, but between the roster restrictions that you have in MLS and then just the massive amounts of travel that, that you can end up finding yourself in uh, when you get these, you know, five games in 15 days sort of runs can really, really wear you down and the ability to, to rest a player and to lean on other guys to, to give you valuable minutes is just uh, just such a such a benefit to a team. And, and Endo really was that that day. He was on fire that day. And, and we've seen a couple of performances from him like that. Uh, the end of the season last year into the playoffs, I think, were a bit like that. And, and some of his some of his outings for TFC too. He was he was the best player on the pitch on some of those nights. And he he made a case for himself in that that leg against Ottawa. 
Yeah, moving on to the final, um, Toronto FC against the Montreal Impact. It seems to be a pretty regular final now in the Voyagers Cup, and um, you know for for good reason. There's been some great ties. This one um, was incredible as well. And what I'll remember most about that first leg, and actually to be honest, I kind of forgotten exactly how it played out um, scenario-wise, but was Toronto FC's equalizing goal in in controversial fashion with former Red Daniel Lovitz down on the field. Clearly injured, uh, got subbed off shortly after that. Played the whistle. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they did. They uh, they continued moving forward, and and Josie Alcador scores a goal that you know would end up being crucial in that tie. Um, yeah, I just remember the the anger coming out of Montreal after that, and already you know certainly spicy series given what had happened the year before between the two teams of the playoffs, and what always happens when Montreal and Toronto get together in this league. That just added a little bit extra to, to this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, it definitely did. I I remember. I'm 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 pretty sure I was there for that one, and even the press box was a little bit pissed off that TFC didn't uh, didn't put the ball out and do the gentlemanly thing, but. I always feel with those situations, it, it so depends on what perspective you're looking at it as to what the right decision to do is. If the referee is going to allow play to go on, then you play to the whistle. And if he wants to blow it down afterwards or, or decide that, that that wasn't fair, then that's his prerogative. And, you know, would, it, would we all want in a perfect world for everybody to be perfect gentlemen all the time? Yeah, of course we would. And and uh, that was a little bit mischievous, but I can almost guarantee you that if Montreal found themselves in the same situation, they would have done the exact same thing and TFC fans would feel aggrieved about it. So it's, it's just another one of those wrinkles of the Canadian championship that uh, adds to the lore of this series. Uh, it's unfortunate, but I mean, uh, you know, we're going to talk about uh, another pretty big collision in the second leg that led to some uh, some disgruntlement amongst a bunch of people that that may have gone uh, lightly punished so I mean like it's it's par for the course in, in this competition my favorite part of that entire sequence was the fact that after they scored they decided to celebrate right in front they didn't move to the corner they were like those are just like he's, he turned around and just like stood right there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing. It's one thing to let a guy get injured. It's another thing to step on him while he's injured because you're yeah. the goal you scored. That's just a, another level. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes there's no rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also in that game, uh, Piotti missed a penalty um, in that first leg. He just skied it right, right over. Um, that was that was another moment where it was just kind of didn't expect it. Yeah, Piatti from the penalty kick, I, I think, was, uh, was a, a bit of a relief for TFC. There was a, a Laurent Small free kick that drew a, a pretty good save out of Clint Irwin as well. And, you know, TFC goes into these looking to, to get through the first leg and set themselves up for the second leg, as I mentioned. And, and going to Montreal and getting a 1-1 draw is very much something you can work with when you're going back home. But if you were down 2-1, if you were down 3-1, you really opened the door for Montreal to sit back and defend and, and do what they do so well, which is look to open up the game on counters and then away goals start to get into it. And, you know, a 1-1 is, is a good away result in a two-legged competition like this. And the Impact are a team that, you know, no matter, it's a bit cliched to say, but, you know, in a, in a derby like this, it doesn't really matter what team is in what form, what team is pushing for the playoffs, who's competing for what on a, on the day like that, form sort of goes out the window. And Montreal's a team that's always been set up to to take advantage of 
of TFC's weaknesses, which is that Toronto wants the ball and Montreal wants to hit you on the counter. And, and when you play offensively the way that TFC did that season, you open yourself up to getting hit on counters. And, and that just played right up to Montreal's strengths. So it was always a fascinating back and forth between these two teams. And, and uh, you know, this was uh, an occasion like uh, all the rest that we've seen over, over the years between these two. Yeah, and then into the second leg, um, just that uh, Balu first goal, an absolute screamer um, off of just Piatti's hustle. Um, that goal was another one that kind of set the tone for the game, I think. As sweet of a left foot as you're ever going to see from somebody at BMO Field. And, uh, you know, as much as the Toronto fans don't don't love it when uh, when the opposing team scores, I think, you know, when Zlatan did his karate kick back heel thingy, people can appreciate a – a really nice goal and that was one of those ones that that you know despite the ramifications of it and, and the shades of the 2016 series where where Domodoro scored that first goal and and really sort of set off what was a, a wild night in that two-legged series in the, in the MLS Cup playoffs that year it it was a dangerous one to give up you know not only does does the series balance shift in Montreal's favor but they get that away goal for which cancels out Toronto's away goal from the first leg and means that, you know, every single mistake that you have for the, for the remaining 60, 60 minutes plus potential of extra time becomes that much more dangerous because, because Montreal is a team that it doesn't matter how much pressure you're applying, they will find a way to get their chances laid on. And, and then Tabla, you know, he's been, a, he's been a little bit hot and cold, but that was one of those moments where you could really see the caliber of a, of a player like that stepping up, uh, stepping up at a big time for his club to to put them in the driver's seat. Yeah, there was there was so many crazy moments in that game that I'd almost forgotten. Um, almost a bit of a side moment in that game, which was Stephen Bateshore getting absolutely truck-sticked by Kyle Fisher in the <laughs> midfield. Um, I remember at the time thinking, why wasn't that a yellow card? You know, that was a really bad hit, but Bateshore got up and, and seemed fine to play on. And then, of course, you find out after the game, a pretty serious injury for him. Yeah, it you know, at the time, you're sort of thinking like, oof, that was that was a couple of freight trains running into each other <laughs> on the sideline. And it seemed a little bit unnecessary. Like it was it was way away from play. It wasn't in a dangerous position. It, it seemed more reckless than malicious. But and, uh, you know, something we would more expect to see in a Leafs Habs game than a, than a TFC impact match. But I, I didn't make much of it at the time other than the fact that, you know, okay, emotions are boiling up. It's it's a game between rivals. They both want this competition, like yada, all that sort of thing. And and afterwards, you know, we, we find out that a couple of days later that, you know, Betisher lacerated his spleen and had to be rushed to the hospital. And, you know, one of the things that, that stood stood out for me and that, that stuck with me was that, you know, Vanny said that this was a lacerated spleen is the kind of injury that, that the ER doctors see more in car accidents than they do from sporting events. So Jeez. it was one of those ones that was, uh, it was pretty scary when, uh, when we found out what, what actually happened and, you know, beta sure wasn't, wasn't right for a good while after that. He was, uh, I think I saw him about a week after that and his color was, was not good. Let me just put it that <laughs> way. And, and it, it was, it was great that he, uh, that he recovered and everything like that and, and went on to, to, excellent things with LAFC but yeah that was one of those I, I keep going back to it but you know this Canadian championship just has these little moments that sort of become the the points of lore that we'll be talking about for the next 20 years 30 years it's uh it's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite competitions yeah and a couple more of those moments just setting the context before obviously we talk about the big heroics at the end 
Um, first off, Bernier getting sent off for uh, a bad challenge on Delgado. That seemed to happen pretty often in these things was somebody getting sent off. And, you know, the amount of times you'd see both teams, all 11 guys in some kind of scrum was, you know, pretty, pretty common for these things. And then also at the very end, uh, Kyle Fisher, again, he takes out Sebastian Javico of the box and a pretty shocking non-call, to be honest. Uh, he, he like very clearly got none of the ball in all of Javinko. Um, but, you know, I, I think, and, and I think Toronto FC handled that pretty well because, you know, it, it, they could have really let that get away from them. But um, at the moment, I remember them just kind of getting on with it. And obviously what followed, um, you know, was very much in their favor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the refereeing controversies that have, that have come, come through in this competition are, there's too many of them for it to just be coincidence, you know. And my theory is sort of that because this competition is so unique for these Canadian teams and because, you know, as, as football people, we all sort of crave these, these high-stakes matches, these domestic matches. And, you know, this is, a country, this is a country where, you know, if your closest opponent when you're Edmonton is when you're playing Minnesota in the USL, you know, there's not a lot of passion in that game, even if they are your closest rival. And so... When you get a chance to go up against Vancouver, when you're Toronto against Montreal as opposed to Columbus or, or Chicago or whatever random U.S.-based team you're playing against, there is that little bit extra. And, and I feel like referees, a lot of times in this competition, they don't want to make the big calls that are going to decide things, which is pretty standard the world over. But at the same time, they aren't great at controlling the emotion. And so when things get a little escalated, they tend to brandish those red cards a little bit more, a little bit more freely than, than perhaps is needed. You know, that Bernier one, he sort of, he sort of got himself into a, into a tunnel and he didn't have an exit and he took a bit of a heavy touch and he was running out of gas and he just sort of clattered into Delgado. And, you know, anytime you go to ground and you're that close to a guy, you're sort of opening it up for a referee to, to see that as being more malicious than it was. But you know, it it is what it is, and then the non call on the on the Jovinko foul. The you know, I think I think nine times out of ten that's a penalty, but that means there's always that one ref in ten who has a different opinion. And <laughs> and I mean, uh, it, it wouldn't be this competition if we didn't have little things like that. Like the drama in these two legs is is like a season's worth of MLS drama. You know, we all we all rage about VAR and about what it does to the game and stuff like that, but. Um, there is there is far more packed into four legs of a Voyager's Cup competition than there is in a good two months of MLS action. Yeah, and then also like that game ultimately the Sebastian Javinko just putting the team on his back um, as he did so often. Um, just the goal the goal where he 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 controlled it with his chest and then found that space and just put his boot through it was 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 nuts. <laughs> Yeah, you know, anytime Seba wins a ball in the box, uh, an aerial ball in the box, we sort of have to marvel at that because that's not really, uh, that's not really his thing. And and uh, you know, Michael Bradley was was pivotal in both those two uh, Jovinko goals on the day. But I mean, Seba at that time, 2016, 2017, Seba was just such a such a dangerous player. And if you gave him an inch of space, there was. There was absolutely nothing you could do about it. You know, I, I spoke with Eric Zabaleta a couple of weeks ago just about uh, about the um, the game where Seba returned from Italy to, to play for TFC against New York that ended up clinching the first ever playoff playoff uh, spot. And and he said it himself that like you you can't guess with Seba. You can't you can't 
play like you know he's going to go to his left and try and shade that way to force him there and anticipate it because he'll just beat you. You know, if you try and do the same to your right, he'll beat you that way too. And he was just – he was on his game at that time. And, and you know, I, I think he would never say this because he, he wasn't a guy that liked to do a lot of talking, but I think he particularly relished playing against Montreal. There was uh, there was a little altercation between him and some of the Montreal fans. I, I think it was after the 2015 playoff defeat mm-hmm. where uh, he took a little bit of stick as he was leaving the stadium and he didn't appreciate that. And so – you know, between that and the crying emoji banner that he got, he got some revenge for. I think he he enjoyed uh, sticking it to Montreal a little bit, and I think the Montreal fans uh, really enjoyed disliking him. I'm sure there was more than a few Juve fans in their ranks, and uh, I'm sure they quite enjoyed seeing him up close and being able to boo him and all that sort of thing. That's just uh, that's just one of the fun things about this sport is uh, there's a lot of love hate going on, and, and sometimes that brings out the best and. You know, that Seba goal in the last minute, TFC going into the stands to celebrate with their fans, Montreal fuming between the red card and the way that the game played out and referee. Just that's that's how you want a cup competition to end. You want it to be dramatic to the absolute last kick of the ball. And and 2017 was uh, was that. Uh, and then the, the aftermath of all that, um, you know, you've got the fireworks on the field. Uh, it was it was a pretty incredible theater. Um but also, uh, the, kind of juxtaposed with you going to the Toronto FC locker room, you've got a ton of beers sitting around, as you always do after after these big games, but it seemed like they barely touched them. Like As much as they really very much clearly enjoyed this victory, um, I, I always found it impressive how much their eyes were clearly on going forward and what they considered the ultimate prize, which was MLS Cup. Yeah, I mean... Um... Voyager's Cup nights are, are always particularly neat, particularly neat for those of us covering the game because not only we, do we get the locker room access or, or the hallway access, uh, depending on, on what the setup is, but we get, we get to go down to field level afterwards for the trophy presentation. And, and TFC, TFC, and I'm sure all the teams do this as well, they, they have their families there for that and everybody comes out on the pitch and you enjoy the fireworks. And it's a, it's a nice moment for for people that have worked so hard uh, to get where they are and, and to share it with their families and, and to be able to celebrate something in the middle of a season is, is a, it's almost sort of like a signpost along the way that, that you're, you're meeting the goals and, and winning that championship and, and earning their place in the champions league, despite the little bit of controversy that went into that was very much a goal of Toronto's that season. So, so they enjoyed that victory and, and I'm sure they may have had a beer or two uh, on the side when we were not looking. Um, <laughs> but that was a team that was very much on a mission that year. You know, the way that 2016 ended, um, the gut punch of losing an MLS Cup in a shootout against a team that, that didn't get a shot off on on goal against you in your home stadium in that freezing cold was uh, was something that really didn't sit well with this group. And, you know, this is a group that has always – they've always dug deeper when, when they felt like they were proving somebody wrong. I, I remember before, before TFC were making the playoffs, there was, there was a bit of an, an air of, you know, this club has never made the playoffs before. People don't believe that you can do this. You can go out, you can spend money, you can bring players in, you can do whatever you have to do, but you're still that same old TFC that will fail when, when the task is at hand. And 
I know a lot of the players took that to heart and they took that personally and that that was definitely a fuel for them and so that 2017 year was about proving that to everybody else but also proving that to themselves and so you know while the Voyager's Cup was was a mission accomplished in a lot of ways it was also just you know the first of of three or four trophies they they had their eyes on in that campaign and uh you know we saw what the future held for that group so it was a it was a pretty special year you know it's been fun to look back at it and sort of uh remember all the things that flew by in the in the storm that is covering a professional sports team but uh that was definitely um i think if you talk to them about it winning that competition and winning it in the way that they did was something that that not only not only fueled them but also was a bit of a was a bit of evidence that that they were were doing what they needed to do and that if they just kept going and, and kept doing their thing they would they would find themselves where they wanted to be and so you know it was a signpost along the way but uh it was a fun one that's for sure certainly was um before we let you go on the show james we do a quiz every week um just with questions related to this week's topic so we have a canadian championship quiz for you right now and we'll ask you one of the questions the other four you guys can go answer over the Darby Meg Instagram page. But I wanted to know, James, who has the most goals by a Canadian in Voyager's Cup history? Now, Ignacio Piatti and Sebastian Javinko are tied for most goals in the competition's history. Most goals by a Canadian, eh? I'll give you a hint. It's not my guy, Liam Frazier. Not Liam, <laughs> not, not Liam not yet. Frazier yet. Not yet. When, we, when we record this in 10 years' time, it will be Liam Frazier, uh, presuming Michael Bradley ever retires. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was thinking first I thought there was going to be a trick, you know, like Tommy Amiobi has scored a lot of goals in this competition. And now he probably wasn't Canadian at the time that he scored those goals, but now he's a permanent (laughs) resident. So how does that work out? And then I was thinking, and then I was thinking that, you know, before the tournament era of this competition, there was the one that was just awarded based on in-league results in USL or in the A-League or whatever it was back in the day. And, and so I'm sure like Nevio Pizzolito or Eddie Sabrango or somebody from those old impact days has got, has got a fair number of goals. Maybe Martin Nash, I don't know. You'd have to scour through some old USL results to figure out that one. But then I was like, all right, you're overthinking this. It's got to be a Canadian. It's got to be somebody who plays for TFC. It's got to be somebody who's got a lot of games under their belt. And so I have to go with Oso. It's got to be Jonathan Nassari. That is correct. I was actually kind of surprised it wasn't Dwayne Rosario. I mean, he scored a he scored a hat trick against Montreal. So you'd think you'd think maybe that would put him ahead, but no, it is actually Oso. So yeah, yeah. pretty uh, pretty good stuff D-Road, there. Dero didn't play quite as many of these competitions as as you might have think. You know, his time with TFC was was interrupted and, and rather brief. So. It didn't surprise me too much, but but yeah, it's uh, it's got to be also. That's true. Some names, uh, some names out of the past there too. Eddie Sabrango's <laughs> son actually plays for my hometown Kitchener Rangers right now. That was a blast from the past when I found that out. But um, yeah, absolutely um, crazy looking back at at what was an insane 2017 Voyagers Cup, and um, yeah, looking looking forward a little bit to you know once we get back to to the Voyagers Cup and. And hopefully we'll be some pretty good ones going forward with the Canadian Premier League once again fully involved. James, thank you so much for joining the show this week. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure, as always. Wonderful to catch up with you boys. Everyone uh, stay safe, stay home, and uh, catch up on some old school footy. Thanks again to James Grossi for coming on the podcast. and. 
dropping some knowledge on the boys. I always think I have, you know, a pretty good grasp of Toronto FC, but that guy, man, he, he remembers stuff that I never will. And when he was just trying to figure out the, the most, the, the highest scoring Canadian, he mm. named like five people, not five, but like he named a bunch of people and I, I wrote them down. I will be. <laughs> be <laughs> this is for a, some googling for later. Yeah, <laughs> like a history lesson. It was. It was dope. Yeah. Again, it's it's kind of wild to think how far the Voyagers Cup has come from. Again, it was. It's literally a trophy that was bought by supporters um, for the top Canadian club, and at the time, it was just like a league competition awarded to the best team between the Vancouver Whitecaps and the Montreal Impact. Now, obviously, you've got the MLS sides all in it. You've got the Canadian Premier League sides as well. And it's only going to get bigger from here, which you know, always makes me so excited when, when we're talking about this competition. We've already had some wild moments considering how few teams are mm-hmm. involved. It's actually pretty cool. Like speaking of the history of it, I was doing, um, I was doing some, some work the other day and I was talking to a white cats fan and I was just like asking him, I was like, Oh, how long have you been a fan? And he's like, uh, I think he, I think he said since like 82, 1982 and I'm like what like I wasn't even gonna lie I was like I didn't even know like that they were around for that long (laughs) Um, yeah yeah I think for us we always like I don't know I always think of these clubs in the MLS era right and and maybe a little bit the USL one era because Toronto FC played against them but uh yeah these these clubs have like long rich histories so um definitely fun to to dive into that a bit with james Let, let's move to the quiz now four questions this week uh because i already let james answer one of them um who led the 2017 canadian championship in scoring how many canadian championships have toronto fc won who got sent off in toronto fc's away leg against ottawa and how many different reds scored in the 2017 championship and you can find those quiz questions on uh, the derby mag instagram story tomorrow morning tomorrow afternoon sorry uh, but yeah be sure to follow darby mag and footy talks live man didn't want to wake up in the morning and uh put those <laughs> things on instagram he's no. like tomorrow tomorrow afternoon well, i'm out i'm out west i'm out west most of our, our listeners right now are out east morning time would mean i'd have to wake up at 6 a.m i'm sorry guys it's not in the cards on saturday yeah, that's fair. Not I feel Saturday, sorry for you to when you have to wake up for Premier League games once uh once those get back underway. The early Premier League games in the in PST are just absolutely horrible. But yeah, I got I got a I got in a I think I had like one or two of them and it was uh it was rough. But anything for the toffees up up the toffees. Yeah, and anything for soccer at this point. I absolutely can't wait for it to be back. But until then, we're r- very much enjoying going back in in history right now and bringing you the 2017 MLS season from a Toronto FC perspective. We have some pretty exciting guests coming up as well on the show. So stay tuned for next week's podcast, where we'll talk about the club's quest to lift the supporter shield.